the book of Ruth. You go in through the Bible, you go through the Pentateuch to Judges, Ruth, right before the Samuels. Uh, turn there if you want to read in the translation that I am reading from. Uh, it is page 229 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you, page 229. So why are we reading the book of Ruth as we begin Advent? Shouldn't we be reading about angels and Mary and manger scenes? Well, hopefully that you're doing that in your own family devotions and personal devotions during this time of year. But when I read in the book of Ruth, I see a lot of the same settings. We see Bethlehem. We see that just as the Christmas story, this is the scene that Ruth and Naomi find themselves in. When you read the story, you see things like the Redeemer. You see a baby being born at the end of hope and of the faithfulness of God. As we know and understand the story of Christmas and one of the greatest stories that has ever been told, we also know that sometimes stories uh, in, the, in the movie world begets prequels. Well, here we see a prequel, a story that impacts the very story of Jesus a thousand years later. And this reasons and more, the book of Ruth is a great place for us to be in this Christmas season as we look with expectation for the hope of Christ. So let us begin, and we'll read, actually, all of chapter 1 together this morning. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were, were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in, Judea, in Judah. Excuse me. Uh, they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died and was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women for their wives, as one was named Orpah and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return to the territory from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you the rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. They said to her, We insist in returning with you to our people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who can become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even though I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. 
For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she'd stop talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the, the passing of your inspired word that you have come and have brought it to us to remind us of the hope that is in Christmas. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we come to it that we will be either equipped to help someone through their times of despair in this Christmas season, or that instead you meet us right in the place where you need us right now. Heavenly Father, we pray, God, this morning that as we read your word, we know that it's powerful, it is true, it is without error, and we know that in it is life. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring life to our hearts through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is that time of year in my house again. Not the holiday season and the decorating season. Hallmark Christmas movie season. That my DVR is so packed that there is very few rooms for football games or basketball games to be recorded because it's filled with movies that bring the hope of the holiday season filled with plot holes. These movies are packing my DVR at this moment. It is this uh, time of year that we see these movies interspersed and they've become so popular that now even more channels have, have bought into this. There's a competing channel that is going against, uh, against Hallmark. There's other channels now that are popping up with these new movies and yep, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, many people are watching them. You know, every Hallmark movie has pretty much the same plot line. You know, there's a, a girl who works in, who is a small business owner or, or works in a cor corporate office and has either lost her joy for Christmas because uh, she's so busy in her life that she, she can't have time for Christmas, or she's uh, tragically lost a parent that time of year. Well, during the next 90 minutes, she finds out that she can restore her joy or find the love in her life from someone that she went to high school with many years ago, or who was the corporate over overlord who had came to threaten her small business and has lost their joy for Christmas. And by the end of it, everybody's joy in Christmas has returned. They have found the love of their life, and ultimately, everybody ends happily every after. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well... With many seasonal Christmas stories, there's a lot of 
of times that we see that the good part of these movies is that even in the midst of pain, there can be joy. With many of these stories, often in the brightness and the, the excitement of the season, we often overlook that this time of year is painful and is hard for many people. That for we understand that someone, maybe even in this room today, is suffering uh, for a season because this time of year brings back memories or difficult things that they have experienced that year. Maybe it's because you've lost a loved one or maybe a loved one that you have lost. This is a time of year. All those memories flood back. Maybe it's the difficulty of, of missed opportunities throughout the year before. Maybe it's the bitterness of a broken family relationship that forgiveness has not been extended by you or you have not received forgiveness from that other person. This time of year is very difficult. The book of Ruth begins with difficult and tough matters of life. Here in the opening chapter of the book of Ruth, we see that Naomi has experienced great loss. Not only has she lived through a famine, but she's lost her husband and her two sons. And Ruth, who is her daughter-in-law, has lost her husband. And in this, we see that they have, are experiencing a time of starvation and hopelessness. But for Christians, we all need to be reminded that this is a season of hope. The very reason that we celebrate Christmas is that God, the creator of the universe, stepped out of heaven and came to the earth, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross that he might raise to life three days later, that those who believe in him have the hope of eternal life. This is the reason we celebrate. And this exciting season is also a reminder for us that we can go to God who is the God of hope. Dietrich Bonhoeffer observed of this season that the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. When we read this story in the book of Ruth, we see this undeniable connection that happens in Bethlehem. Here we see that Ruth and Naomi are hopeless, but God meets him, them in his faithfulness. A thousand years later, we see that the world, when all of the fullness of time has come, God meets humanity by bring, being faithful, by bringing the Savior of the world to us. And in this, we see in the first chapter of Ruth, that God brings hope in Bethlehem to Naomi and Ruth. And let's remember and remind ourselves of a faithful God that maybe you're experiencing loss or difficulty or struggling with depression, fear, anxiety this time of year, that you would look at this season of hope, that you would meet with a faithful God who loves you, that you would be encouraged to have hope in the message of Christ. And that in this same way, in this passage, we see three ways in which God gives hope in Bethlehem. If you're taking notes uh, on the bulletin or on your phone or at home, number one, God brings hope at Bethlehem in the midst of brokenness 
and sin. God brings hope at Bethlehem in the midst of brokenness and sin. Now, Naomi and Ruth lived in the time of the judges. If you understand the, the time of the Bible of redemptive history, Israel had, had, re, had captured the promised land. Joshua is gone, but the judges ruled. And, and during that time, unfortunately, the judges were a period of really sin, disobedience, and idolatry for Israel. There was a lot of frustration. Each judge brought with it both blessings and curses. And we read at this time that Elimelech and his family had uh, in Bethlehem that a famine had come. Famines were often linked in the scriptures in the Old Testament to curses in Mosaic Covenant. The mention of famine in Bethlehem was both ironic and instructive. The name of the ancient town of Bethlehem is, in the Hebrew is House of Bread. This is where we get our series uh, name from. Why was it named that? It was because it was the, one of the most fertile areas of the promised land. Great in agriculture, wheat, barley, and many things. But Israel's failure during the time of Judges to keep God's covenant brought about God's righteous judgment to them, which meant the house of bread had become the house of crumbs. There was not food enough to sustain the people of the land. So what should Elimelech have done? Well, he should have a spiritual man, leader of the home, should have led his family to repentance, turning back to God, trusting God to provide, repenting for, for how the nation had gone against God and come back into faithfulness of God. But is that what Elimelech did? No, we read here that he looked only at the physical problem and decided that he would go to find to spare his family to go to the country of Moab. Instead of repentance, he went further away from God. Well, why do we say that? Well, isn't that good to provide for your family? Well, no, not if you know that if you trust in a God who is a promise-keeping God, a God who provides for our needs. Instead, he went to a country that, as we read through the scriptures, was surely not friends with Israel. If you read throughout the scriptures, we understand that King Malik, who was a Moab uh, king, hired Balaam to curse Israel. We know that many times that the Moabites had attacked Israel. There was no love lost amongst these people as the Moabite people had many gods that were idolatrous and were away from the one true God. Naomi and many others were experiencing the time of spiritual brokenness and personal brokenness. You see, not only was the result of God's judgment to, to, though he might have provided food for Elimelech's family, Elimelech died himself. And even after spending 10 years there, Elimelech's children went on to go even further. They, they took for themselves women who, who were Moabites. Now, why was this uh, declared uh, wrong in, in the law? And, and why was it frowned upon by God? Because in those marriages of mixed religion, that the, the, the temptation was for the men who were supposed to be faithful to God would have then be faithful to the gods of their wives. And here in these mixed marriages, then these two sons passed away. 
And here now three widows are left from the result of disobedience and sin. But God again reminds us that he is a God who is with us and brings about his providential care. In verse 6, we see she and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard from Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing food for them. We are reminded in this verse that the providence of God, even in times of suffering and pain, that even then and now that we are reminded through Naomi and Ruth's life that God was still loving and providing and caring, that this is the story that we know of a God and his faithfulness to us even when we aren't faithful. And we also know that a thousand years later in Bethlehem, God provided for us our personal and most important need by providing a savior for our sin. And knowing this and having full confidence in God, we understand that God rides upon the storms, that behind God's frowning providence, one commentator wrote, is a smiling face of God. You see, our unbelief can't see this. We can't see that in our pain and suffering and loss that God is there, God is providing, God is loving. But we know because in this inspired, interpreted events for us that we can be instructed through God's care of faithfulness to Naomi and Ruth that God is caring for us. Whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever you're going through, we know that God loves us and is walking through life with us. Charles Spurgeon observed and said, It is a sweet thing to be able to trace the hand of God in our affliction, for nothing can come to one of his children from that hand except what is good and right. Those are the hands of which the Lord says, I have inscribed you in the palm of my hands. So may we rest assured that nothing can come from those hands but what infinite wisdom directs and infinite love has ordained. Maybe you are here today because God is reminding you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of the result of sin, your sinful choices, or the results of sinful choices made on behalf of others, that you are reminded that God is faithful and God loves you. And that this momentary affliction is not pointless. It is directed by a loving God. It is not by happenstance or a cosmic mistake, but it is a sovereign loving God who is working all things out for your good. It is purposeful that God will use this for our good. It may be to call us to repentance. It may be calling us to the end of the selfishness of ourselves. It may be calling us to bring, call us back from being separated from God in our sin. But God has come to us and he is faithful. He has come to us in Christ and to those of us who has put our faith in Christ are restored to him. 
So brother and sister, look up with hope. Even in the midst of our brokenness, God is being faithful. Secondly, we receive the hope that God gives at Bethlehem through faith in his covenant to us. We receive hope that God gives at Bethlehem through faith in his covenant to us. As the story turns, there becomes a discussion between Naomi and, his, and her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. She pleaded them to return to Moab. Go back, she says, because maybe you might find favor and you might find husbands to care for you. She didn't want Ruth and Orpah to follow her because she knew that the Moabites would receive that frosty reception when she returns to Bethlehem. They would also less likely to find husbands there. And that Ruth understood there was no way for her to take care of them. You see, in these times that, this, that, uh, that it must be a man who, uh, who owned the property. And therefore, with Elimelech and the two sons gone, these widows really had no opportunity to legally own the land. Property was vital because it was an opportunity to grow and provide food for the family to make ends meet. As a widow, it was an opportunity to sell the land to provide provisions to, to take care of themselves. Ruth being a widow and one who is older would most likely not be able to find a husband who would claim the land for her. And also, as she said, uh, are you going to wait for me? If I had children even now, are you going to wait, uh, daughter-in-laws, to, to, uh, uh, for them to grow up? There would be pretty much a, a, a wide age difference there. The future did not look bright. But in God's providence and kindness, through these discussions, God displayed for Naomi his covenant love to her through the covenant love of Ruth. Orpah, who's actually her meaning of her name uh, in some root form means neck, uh, very providential because she turned her neck or her back on Naomi. But Ruth, what does it say? Clung to Naomi. She clung to her in the covenant promise of love that she made to her in verse 16 and 17, we read, Ruth said, Don't plead to me, abandon you, don't, or return to not follow you. Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And here's this covenant. Where you die, I will die, and there will be, I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates me from you. That, I love that next line, Naomi realized she wasn't going to, that Ruth was determined to go with her, and she stopped talking to her. Very rarely do you see that conversation between a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, right? Somebody stopped talking in the midst of a conversation. But here we see that Ruth made a covenant that if she were to abandon Naomi, it would be her life. However, in this narrative, we see that it is this trust and truthfulness of God's kindness and faithfulness and this one in which Ruth entrusted herself to Naomi that it impacted everyone 
in narratives, we don't really know a lot of things, but the, the, the speaking, the, the, the dialogue helps direct us. And everyone keeps uh, uh, proclaiming and dis- discovering and, and saying, oh, Ruth, your faithfulness and kindness to Naomi is amazing. Ruth made such a commitment to return to Bethlehem with Naomi that it must have been based on the covenant faithfulness of God. See, she had heard the stories, no doubt, of a God who is a covenant-keeping God. One who promised to Abraham that your descendants would be as, as prosperous as the stars in the sky. One who told his people and promised that they would reclaim the lamb, uh, land, that they would bring, he would bring them up out of slavery. That, that even to Moab, that the story of, of God's people had been rescued by the hand of God from Pharaoh. That he would continue to say that I will be, uh, give you a land that is filled with milk and honey and fertile for the people. And he did all these things. And time after time, God has showed his covenant faithfulness to his people. And our hope during difficult times and sadness is to remind ourselves that we are putting our faith in a promise-keeping God. You see, even during the time of judgment that came on Bethlehem that we read at the beginning of the chapter, that there was a time of famine. What do we read in verse 6? That it is a time of harvest. That God is continuing to provide for his people. That God has found favor to to bring and, and protect and care for his people. Brothers and sisters, our hope is in the covenant keeping God. Our hope during times of difficulty and sadness is not in the hope of a what, but it's a hope in a whom. Our hope is in the God of the universe who who covenants to provide and care, to be the shelter and protector, the one who offers salvation, the one who who, who gives himself to us. So that our faith involves a commitment of the will to trust in the self revealing God of the Bible. That even when uncertainties and changes in everyday life occur, we put our hope in him. Faith in the Bible and the God of the Bible. Faith in the God of the Bible is not a leap in the dark. It is leaping into the arms of a covenant faithful God. Ruth knew this. Ruth had heard this. Ruth had saw a covenant-keeping God and said, Naomi, your God will be my God because he is the true God. But in this, we also see that we as New Testament believers know the same history and how it climaxes in the bringing of Jesus Christ. Just as Ruth covenanted with Naomi to love and care to be with her through Jesus Christ, God has covenanted with us that he would be our God who loves us forever. Romans 8, 35 through 39, Paul writes of this to help us to see this, this covenant keeping God and the love that cannot be broken. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution, or famine, 
or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, because you were being put to death all day long, we were counted as sleep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Even in our time of affliction, we can put our hope in the one who will never turn his back on us. You know, this time of year, I'm reminded that it's the seasonal weather that we'll probably start to be experiencing in the next few weeks and months, maybe, that we turn on the TV or maybe pull up the video of the local forecaster forecasting the weather, and he or she will have great predictions of mountains of snow expected tomorrow, and we'll wake up. And there's a snowflake. See, I was right. It snowed. <laughs> there are times that we'll say that there was just a dusting and that we'll wake up and it will be covered and we won't be able to see the ground. You know, a, a friend told me that's in the industry, he said that we're told to be just as, just as accurate enough, accurate enough that we don't lose our credibility. <laughs> In other words, just accurate enough, we know we're going to be wrong, but we need to be accurate just enough that people still turn to us to find out what the weather is. Just enough that people can trust us to turn us on. Brothers and sisters, isn't it wonderful to know that we can trust in someone who's 100% reliable as we are in God? That his love for us in Christ Jesus cements the fact that we can trust in him. And every dark day, every disappointing day, every hopeless day, we have hope because the God of the universe sent his son to die to save us. And in doing so, that we can have trust in him that we will have eternal life. That he will never leave us or abandon us. He will never forsake us. His sheep know his voice, and they will never depart from his hand. His love is sure and faithful and will never end for us. Brother and sister, if you're going through rough, difficult seasons, remember you can place your hope in a covenant-keeping God, which leads us to number three. God brings hope at Bethlehem by providing the bread of life. Let me just remind you, verse 19 through 22. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered. The Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back to the territory of Moab with, his, with her daughter-in-law Ruth and the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley season. Naomi asked the questions of the people who came. They heard word had spread. Naomi, after, after a decade or more is gone, has, being gone, she's back. This is her. But she answers bitterly, don't call me Naomi. 
You say, well, why don't call me by my first name? Are we changing names now? What's going on? Well, Naomi meant pleasant. And she said, instead, call me Mara, which the Old Testament echoes of the place of bitterness. That is what that name means. Naomi rightly attributes her return to Bethlehem to Yahweh, recognizing that she is coming back empty. She understands and sees that her afflictions have come partly from judgment, but also knowing that bad things have happened. And now the question that has come is posed to Naomi, is posed to you. That whether in the view of these situations of your life are part of God's plan. The text challenges us to believe that God is active even in our life, even if it hurts. In fact, the whole book teaches us about God's providence in our lives. He is not only in control, but he is often, he is always up to something good, namely the accomplishment of his redemptive plan and the perfection of his people. The challenge of walking by faith during these times is often the opportunity to glorify Jesus. And a redeemer is only needed when an individual finds himself or herself in difficulties beyond their control. And Naomi's poverty has brought her to the point where she realizes Things are beyond her control. The Bible makes clear that we need a spiritual redeemer because sin leaves us bankrupt before God with no means of generating the ability to pay. But here's the beauty of this text, verse 22. So Naomi came back to the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess, they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We were reminded at the beginning that Bethlehem was the name that meant house of bread. Naomi and her family had experienced great loss. They had went through a famine. They'd experienced judgment. They'd experienced loss. But what they didn't understand was that God was bringing back to a city to bring them hope back to the city that is the house of bread. This is foretelling and helping maybe foreshadow that one day God was going to use this same city to bring about the bread of life. That Jesus would come, that he would be born in a stable outside of an inn that was full, that because of him and his death, burial, and resurrection, that it would be the way to restore us to fullness in God, to bring us back to hope. Jesus himself claimed to be this in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. 
Naomi had looked at her situation and saw the famine, just as her husband Elimelech had only looked at the physical pain that they were suffering. God was bringing it to show her the spiritual need that she had that would only one day come in Christ. That in this, that we often look at the world and the physical things and we're drawn thinking that all of these things will, will whet our appetite of satisfaction, would bring to us the, that we could feast on this life. But every time, brothers and sisters, when we feast on these things, we find ourselves empty. But God is reminding us that it is through the bread of life, through Jesus himself, that we can be fully satisfied, that we can be restored, that we can be forgiven because then we find our hope in God and not in everything else. It brings into us in fellowship with God for that God will then be in all of our eternity helping us, showing us, providing us, bringing us full with hope forever and ever. And as the carol, old little town of Bethlehem puts it, yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Brothers and sisters, as God provided barley and wheat in the next few chapters, we'll read to bring physical fullness to Naomi and Ruth. God is bringing about a spiritual fullness that is found in the birth of Jesus Christ. So brother and sister, we can celebrate that whatever painful time you have come on, you can come and see the hope that is in God. Hope because God is a covenant-keeping God who loves us that our faith and trust in Christ will anchor us, that we will have hope beyond this world. So might I ask, brother or sister, friend who has come today, do you know Christ? Have you feasted in the bread of life? Have you come to the fullness that comes and putting your faith in him? Do you know that you have, have fallen away, that you are, you are wicked because all of humanity is wicked? That we are empty because we are empty. There is no good in us, but in Christ, he restores us. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us himself. Brother or sister, trust in him today. Believe and be restored and have hope in Christ. And this is the hope of Christmas. May we, whether we are experiencing that pain, or not, may we see the hope that we receive in Christ this Christmas. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this message and story of hope that through the happenings of Bethlehem thousands of years ago, that you are the same faithful God who restores, loves, cares, and provides, that even in times of darkness, we know that we can depend on you because you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, may we put our trust in you and may we this holiday season not be distracted by the things of this world that brings us punishment, sickness, and ill, but instead put our hope in you, the faithful covenant-keeping God. And may we 
Be thankful for the bread of life that you have brought to bring us salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.